College Game Day, the podcast, is hosted by Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. We'll get you ready for March Madness with expert analysis, guests, and insights diving into college basketball, as well as looking ahead to the NFL draft. That's College Game Day, the podcast. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts. I've been on a bunch of different teams. I want to say 11. Uh, so I, I've, I've been able to see how a good organization works, how a good team works, and what the what what you need for each um, having good veterans on your team is a is a necessary is ne- so necessary for having a good organization. Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. We are recording in Denver the day before we play the Nuggets. This will actually come out Thursday morning before we play the Nuggets. I want to welcome our special guest, Garrett Temple, and Izzy Gutierrez, as always, across the screen from me. While we're here, I think it's important that we obviously talk about the season, you know, the Pelicans, how we've done so far, but we want to talk a little bit about Garrett's story. Garrett, born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, went to LSU Laboratory School, am I saying this right? University High, where he won a state championship. He was the king of the long jump. And the triple jump, or is it high jump and the triple jump? Uh, long jump and triple jump. And I wouldn't say king, but I will say we won two state championships, not just one. Oh, my bad. My bad. So you won two state championships. You went on to go to LSU. And I think it's important for those that don't know your story, they hear a little bit about your story and your family's history at LSU. But I want to know, as a Louisiana native, what it was like to go to LSU and, and kind of represent um the temple name uh for your family yeah uh first of all appreciate you having me bro um great to see you israel uh yeah you know it lsu legacy started even before obviously before me before my brother my oldest brother who went there as well and before my dad who was the first black basketball player there Uh, my grandfather actually tried to get his master's degree at lsu after getting his undergrad at Southern University, which is the HBCU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, in the late 40s, he tried to get his master's at LSU, and they wouldn't let him come to school there because he was black. Um, and uh, Thurgood Marshall had a class action lawsuit uh, that he was about to, you know, um, bring the Supreme Court about uh, schools, state schools in the South, not allowing black students to go to school there. Uh, and my grandfather was about to add LSU to the mix and the state legislature put together some funds to pay for him to go to any any school he wanted to go to as long as it wasn't LSU. So they paid for him, the state paid for him to go to Michigan State University where he got his master's degree. And um, that was in early 50s when he graduated. Um, Wait a second. So the state decided rather than just let him go to LSU that they will pay for him to ship out and go learn somewhere else. Anywhere else. Anywhere else. As long as you don't put us in this class action lawsuit, we'll pay for you to go anywhere else. You don't have to pay for school to come here where we don't want you. We'll pay for you to go anywhere else. So my dad was this, had five older sisters. He was the youngest son, the only son, the youngest. So this was, he was like four years old when my dad, when my grandfather graduated from Michigan State, you know, going in the summers and stuff. So it was like 56, say, right? Um, and 13 years later, um, after my dad's senior year in high school, which was his first year going to school with 
white people integrating in 69. Uh, the governor, again, the state intervened and the state, the governor came and recruited my dad to go to LSU. Not the basketball coach, not the athletic director, the, the governor of Louisiana recruited my dad to go to LSU uh, to integrate the program. And knowing what my grandfather had gone through, he still asked him and my grandfather, I can say it was a lot more forward thinking though than, than I would have been or a lot of people would have been and uh, pushed my dad to uh, go integrate the school and, uh, in 1970. He went there four years, was the only black basketball player on the team for all four years. Um, Dale Brown came, the legendary Dale Brown came his junior year and made him automatic captain, which did not, which ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, you know, of players and teammates. Um, and, uh, but the rest is history. My dad got drafted to the NBA, ABA, NFL. Uh, we ended up playing with Spurs for for a year with George Gervin and uh, and then stayed in Baton Rouge. And my oldest brother went there. We grew up we, we grew up a half mile from campus. So I knew the campus of LSU like the back of my hand by the time I was six, seven years old, riding bikes around mm -hmm. through campus um, with my older brothers. Um, my oldest brother, Collis, was a ball boy when Shaquille O'Neal and, at the time, Chris Jackson, now known as Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, was going there. Um, Great documentary on Showtime. Amazing it. documentary about it. Amazing. Uh, you know, uh, I was never a ball boy, but I can remember walking in the practice gym and seeing and hearing about 12 balls bouncing, but you walk in and it's just Chris working out by himself. Um, mm. So LSU was always there. Uh, you know, I went to U High. Huh, LSU about, Laboratory School sounds like a made-up school. Let's be honest. Say, it does. It does. It was. We had seventy-five people in my graduating class. Um, well, seventy-four because one of my boys didn't graduate with us. He graduated in the summertime. <laughs> um, but I, when I was nine or ten years old, I met a guy named Big Baby Davis, and um. We, you know, ended up, my dad was our AAU coach, summer basketball coach. And he ended up coming in, moving in with us for a couple of years in high school, went to LSU lab with me. Hmm. And uh, we won a state championship as sophomores, got the big head as juniors, lost in the semis by one, and then came and redeemed ourselves in the uh, as seniors and beat that same team by 35 in the finals. So um, that was our... You know, our, our high school team was really good. We had a lot of – we had four D1 players. Um, uh, well, five. Three pro pro athletes on that team. And uh, we ended up, I want to say, 12th in the nation in high school. But I was a very – like my senior year, I was maybe 15 points, but about 10 assists a game. I was playing point guard. Uh, always grew up as a very unselfish player, um, sometimes to a fault. Uh, so when I went to LSU, uh, red shirting, my oldest brother had gone there. Um, and he didn't go take, my oldest brother didn't take any other visits myself. You know, my brother wore 41, just like my dad. I was kind of wanted to be a little rebel. So I visited Oregon. I visited Baylor, Scott drew his first season there. Jerome Tang was the main guy recruiting me. It was his first season there. Uh, shout out to Jay Tang, done a great job with Kansas State. Um, but I was trying to maybe create my own path. Um, but at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to go to LSU. Uh, so 
I ended up committing. So it was me, Glenn, and a guy named Tyrus Thomas, kind of an unknown. And uh, Tyrus and I registered my freshman year. Brandon Bass was also there. And um, going into my registered freshman year, the year I actually started playing, uh, you know, we, we had some high expectations <clears throat> because we were sixth. Uh, we were sixth seed the year before, but we had two seniors leave. We had the SEC player of the year and Brandon Bass leave. Um, and, and Tyrus was an unknown come out. You know, nobody knew what Tyrus was going to do. And a lot of people thought Garrett Temple's coming just because his dad went here and his brother went here, to be honest with you. So um, as a team, we knew what we could do, but nobody else really did. Uh, and that freshman year, you know, we, we, we shocked some people. We went, I want to say 27 to six, won the SEC outright, 14 and two. Beat my 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 current coach Corey Brewers, Florida Gators in the regular in the, my SC, Gators regular too. season. In the SEC regular season, we didn't beat them, but we won the regular season. Uh, they beat us in the they won the SEC tournament, and we got I a actually have that box score up right now. Yeah, you we, had uh, seventeen. Oh no, uh, that was my sophomore year. Oh okay, when we were trash, I don't even know how we beat them. Uh, when they came back, but um, we we played really well. We beat so our run to the final four, like college basketball, you know, the selection show comes out. So this was JJ Reddick senior year, Adam Morrison senior year, right? They were the, the two guys. And I was a defender. That's, that's what I was known for as my, as a, my, my freshman year. Average like five, six points a game. And uh, I used to watch JJ, his highlights, and, and think to myself, why are people letting him shoot? Why don't they make him drive? Like, why not press up on him? Like, he, he shoots too well. So the selection show comes on. Uh, we get the four seed, and the one seed in our bracket is Duke. So my brother calls me. My oldest brother, Carlos, calls me because I've been having these conversations with him, and he says, well, now you get your chance. If y'all win two games, y'all probably going to play Duke. And I'm going to come because it's going to be in Atlanta. So I'm like, okay. We play Iona in the first round, 13 seed, and they almost beat us. We down by a lot in the first, first half. Glenn picks it up and turns on the Glenn. Second half, we win. We play a Texas A&M team who beat, knocked out Jerry McNamara and them in the first round. So I think they were an 11 seed. Uh, AC Law uh, was, was a problem for them at one point. Fast guard, ended up playing the league probably seven, eight years. Uh, our senior guards hits a, a 28-footer from three to go up by two and win the game with four seconds left. So we, we scurry past them. And then – we get to the Sweet 16, and we we got Duke on, on, on our, um, you know. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. In our sites. And uh, I'm going to pause you real quick. Yeah. Because before you say what J.J. Reddick did in that game, I want CJ, if he doesn't know, to guess. All right. But go ahead. So don't give the stats. Don't give what what JJ did, but just go ahead from there. Okay. You want to guess, CJ? Or... What do you think his shooting numbers were in that game, JJ? J- JJ had a good game. Uh, he was, so I, I'll say he was averaging 27.3, I think. He, he was player of the year that year. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. He had 20. Think? Yeah, I think he had 25. 25. All right. CJ, uh, he was three for 18. 11 points, four turnovers, two wow. free throws. He was in prison. Yeah. So we uh, – the game plan was don't obviously don't leave him. And I, I played the entire game. I didn't come out once. The one – his first three, I remember to this day, the first three he made was a fast break. I think they stole the ball, and I was in the opposite corner. So he ran down the slot, the wing – and I wasn't guarding him. He hit a three. And I was like, he had just missed, I want to say, two or three. I all three of his makes were threes. He made no twos. Yeah. All three of his makes were threes, and he made two free throws. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was lucky to have Tyrus Thomas in the back so I could just swarm him, force him down there, and he was the block shot king, uh, batting everything coming his way. Sheldon Williams had an amazing game, but we we, we did a job on JJ, three for 18. Um yeah, I think that's kind of what got me on the map in terms of, you know, people trying to, you know, paying attention to me. And then uh, and then the next game we played against Texas. So we played against LaMarcus Aldridge, P.J. Tucker, who was the Big 12 player of the year, Daniel Gibson. Um, uh, and we beat them in overtime. And we make it to the Final Four where UCLA is waiting for us. And uh, – Anna Flalo, Jordan Farmar, Luke Bamute, Ryan Holland. They were just stacked with pros and they lit us up. They we couldn't score. And then um, so that was my freshman year, and it was uh, definitely a year to remember because of who I was playing with. You know, I think the top seven guys in rotation were all from a 50-mile radius of Baton Rouge. We had known each other since for sure since ninth, tenth grade. So it was uh it was special to play with those guys. And uh, then I had two terrible years and then uh, um uh my senior year we 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 played really well as well we won sec got a terrible eight seed and lost to uh the eventual champion north carolina in the second carolina, round yeah. so we beat we beat be gordon hayward beat gordon hayward and shelvin mack in the first round eight nine butler and um and the, and the president of the boston celtics uh right now but uh we we played Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington and Danny Green and them and they they Ty had twenty two in the second half I want to say and they they beat us but LSU was great I was you know glad very glad that I went there obviously my freshman year for example you know I redshirted my first year most people that come back after redshirt they play maybe even if they start they don't play a lot I, 
in the tournament, in the four games in the tournament, I averaged 41 minutes a game. Uh, An overtime game. Right? So, yeah. So I, I left LSU as the leading, you know, most minutes played in history of, of the school. Um, and, but I still didn't even have a thousand points. That's just, you know, the type of player I was. Somebody told me a stat. Uh, there's two, there are two players in LSU history that have over 900 points, 500 blocks, 500 assists, 100 steals and 100 something else. And uh, it was me and Pete Maverick. So, wow. uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to my coach, John Brady, um, who was there my first basically three years. And then we had Trent Johnson my last year. But Coach Brady, you know, instilled a lot of confidence in, in me as, you know, that 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 my value was still that that my game the way that I played had value and uh, you know because a lot of guys now they don't really understand that you don't have to score to to have value for a team at all levels of basketball but obviously it's very difficult to understand that when you're an NBA um, because most of the guys that made it here are that guy they were the scorer. So. I know CJ wants to get there, but I did want to ask you something real quick because you gave us a lot of information there. And it was kind of jarring for me, frankly, because I know some of it. I just didn't know all the details. But um, first of all, this is, explains a lot why it feels like you've been in the league forever, because I remember your freshman year because I'm a Gator. And that final four was like, you know, that was their big year. So it's like, man, Gary Temple's been around forever. Oh, yeah, that was college. Never mind. But uh, when it comes to your dad, did he talk to you about like the the balancing sort of the 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 social you know, weight that he was carrying along with, hey, I'm going to get an education and play basketball. Like, did he talk to you about like sort of the pressures of balancing both of those? Oh, no question. Um, all the time. He has stories. He's uh, a great storyteller, but he definitely explained, you know, how challenging it was. You know, uh, there was an SEC story that came out during the SEC, SEC tournament this year that talked about that and we watched together. And as recent as two weeks ago, he talked about how he talked to his dad and wanted to quit after his freshman year. You know, people sliding notes under his door and things of that nature, but having to have the wherewithal and the, you know, the will to keep going, um, looking at the bigger picture um, and understanding that he came from an education-based family. Uh, so he knew how important getting that, that degree would be. Uh, but yeah, it was very difficult for him as a 17-year-old going into college. Um, you know, it's tough when you got to go to basketball practice with people that don't like you, and then you walk through the you walk through the quad, and David Duke is talking about how neo Nazis are the way and things of that nature, and you know, you don't have any friends. You got to go to Southern. You know, it's a difficult thing to do when you're 18, 19 years old. So he definitely talked about those challenges. So with all that happening, all that being said, your dad decides to go there. You decide to go there. Your brother goes there before you. You guys all carve out, you know, careers, great careers in your own right. Now you have a way in which you'll be um, remembered forever, if you will, um, based on what you showed me, which is really cool. So we'll we'll touch on that in a second. But I want to talk about something you brought up earlier, having impact on teams and, and having a role without scoring. Let's talk about the importance of being able to carve out roles on teams, right? And how hard that's been for a lot of players to adjust to getting to the NBA, right? Because you start off playing in the G League, 
people don't know you spent some time in Italy, right? I think you played 28 games or 29 games in Italy, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. You come back to the NBA and you carve out a 14-year career playing different roles, whether that's starting, whether that's getting DMPs, whether that's coming off the bench. You've done all those things. What advice do you have for guys out there who are trying to carve out a role besides scoring? Because as we know, across the league, every team got, you know, at least two guys that can get 29 or that probably are, maybe three, and then other guys that are capable but aren't provided that opportunity. No question. So, honestly, it's, it may sound crazy, but I think it's easier for a guy like me to have a 12 to 15-year career than it is a guy that, you know, may have been the leading scorer on this team, first team, all SEC or all Big 12, but wasn't but wasn't going to – but was a, you know, 26 pick and was going to be a rotational six-man player his whole career because I haven't had to change my game. Uh, I've been, you know, you have to understand, you know, talk about a guy like Pat Bear. He was a, you know, we were coming, he was two years under me, younger than me. He was a scorer out of high school and college, freshman of the year, but changed his game to be a defender and knew exactly what he needed to do to carve a, carve something out in this league. I was talking to Willie Green the other night. Um, you know, we talk about, um, What's his name? The the, the 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 defender for the Grizzlies for the longest. Uh, Tony. Tony um, Allen. Tony Allen went to Oklahoma State was a scorer, but understood what he needed to do to carve out his, you know, they were, Doc was drafting Tony Allen with the Celtics as a scorer. Yep. But then they realized what they had in him as a defender. And that's, that's what his role was. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys in the league that can score really well but this is the NBA. And in order to be that, you know, a part of that three person group that gets to have the green light on your team, you have to be elite. And, you know, me and CJ saw an elite guy, you know, some elite people last night. You know, it, it's hard to be a CJ McCollum to average 20 a game in the NBA consistently for that many years efficiently. That That's not on a winning team. Not many people can do that. So you have to be realistic. And you have to have people in your corner that understand that and can tell you the truth, uh, you know. And there are people that can carve, that can grow into that, you know, grow into what Jimmy Butler did. Um, so I think most young guys need to understand. You need to figure out a way. Ask a coach. Ask your coach. What do I need to get? On, what do I need to do to get on the court? More times than not, it's going to be play defense, play hard. Do the little things. Continue to work on your game when you, you know, in your own time in the offseason, your offensive game. But figure out a way to get on the court first. Then the rest will take care of itself. And uh, when, yeah, when crazy. can you when can you start doing that? Because like I just had this conversation with um some guys that uh, run o overtime elite over in Atlanta, and there's you know a lot of five stars. They show up there and they're just like, well, I'm not this guy, so I'm gonna have to be a role player on this team. And they think of it as a failure, as like, oh, man, maybe I'm not going to be a pro. Like, can you make that adjustment that early and just, hey, either say I'm going to be a specialist or I have to focus on one or two specific skills? It depends. I think, you know, the, the maturity level of the player uh, determines when somebody can and can't do it. Um, I, I think, you know, like I said, I, I kind of made that change when I was probably 11th grade, 12th grade. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but I had a guy that was so much better than all of us that I just said, okay, I'm gonna pass him the ball. Like I, 
I can't do what he can do for our team. He needs to do that. Um, I think the guys, like at Overtime Elite, they have some guys that are just better. And they need to just, like I said, be real with themselves and understand I'm trying to make a living doing this. And I think if they hear more stories like mine, that they can understand that. Um, because, you know, all you hear about, even to this day now, about scoring, being the man, da 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 da, da. But you don't hear about stories like mine, you know, 14 years as a pro, like a Ronnie Price, 13 years, like a Ramon Sessions, these type of guys that carved out a niche, carved out something in the league. Ish Smith, by doing it in, in, a, in a different way that, you know, people, we, we may be on who he played for, but we still 14 <laughs> years in the, you know, 14 years as pros. And um, I know a lot of guys that were talented as hell, way more talented than me, that because they did not get that, they, they played five years in the league and they had talent to play, you know, 15. Do you get pissed when people ask when uh, people bring up the who he played for thing? Because I think you've been on there a few times. <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. No. I was out actually at All Star and I saw Chuck, so we we mm. joked about it. But uh, nah, not at all. It's funny. You talk about how your se- your senior season ends, right? Most minutes in the history of LA, uh, LA. Most minutes in the history of LSU's program. Defensively creating that mindset, being able to do whatever it takes to win. You go to the G League. You play in the G League. You end up going to Italy for a year. What was your thought process like when you went to Europe? And did you think in the in the front end that your career would end up the way it is on the back end 14 years later? I know we talk a lot about <sighs> the, the differences in life and, and where it takes you and how, you know, if, if someone would have told you a book of how, how life would be at 35, you wouldn't necessarily believe it. Talk to me about your thought process 12 years ago-ish when you were in Italy to now. Yeah. Um, it was different, man. Like you said, it was different. It was unique. And then that I was in the G League, didn't get drafted. Uh, got a few cups of coffee in the NBA. I was on five different teams in the NBA my first two years. You know, 10-day contracts and things of that nature. And the lockout hit my third season. And I didn't have a lot of money to sit on. Um, so I decided to go to Italy for the entire season. And uh, my agent wasn't a guy that was in that, you know, Adept at a lot of the uh, Euro- European stuff. So I was on the worst team in the first division. They had just made it up, so we didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources. Um, I did enjoy the location because I was central. I was an hour from Milan. I was in northern Italy. Um, I enjoyed the location in that regard, let me say. It was a small country town. Uh, so walking around, people looked at me like I was an alien. Uh, there weren't many black people there at all. Um, one time, uh, I realized one lady was cursing me out, you know, once my, one of my teammates told me exactly what she was saying when I, when I'd walked through her kind of parking lot. Um, but it, it was, it was an experience and I'm glad I had the experience. You know, my, I, I pulled my hamstring there and, uh, it wasn't handled quite the right way. And I, 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 re, I did it again and I re-injured it, um, but I stuck it out. I stayed the entire time. I went there July. I got back in May. Stayed the entire time. I didn't know that leaving there, there was no like, oh, now I'm good. Now I'm going to be an NBA player. Not at all. Our season was bad. You know, we, we we lost a lot of close games. Matt Janning was my teammate who's carved out an amazing career overseas. I'm happy for him. Um, but, nah, I, I didn't realize that I, you know, when I got back here, I went to training camp with Miami. And they had just beat the 
they had just won their first championship. So I was go, I was in training camp when they were about to, you know, going to win their second championship. And a teammate of mine in the G League was Terrell Harris, who was on their team when they won. And uh, I was fighting for him. I fought for the guard spot with him, and they, they gave it to him instead. So um, at that point, I was pretty low because I had outplayed him. But it was the politics. He was on the team before and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, my dad talked to me in Miami, I want to say the day after I got cut. And we had a conversation, a candid conversation. You know, my game is not built for Italy. I mean, for overseas, I'm not a, just a 25-point scorer. Uh, do, I, do I believe I could play in the NBA? And I said, yeah, for sure. I know I can. So we said, well, we're going to keep going, and you're going to keep going. Went to the D-League one more time with Reno. And then uh, D.C. called me up. And actually, people don't know this. Uh, when D.C. called me up, Miami tried to get me back. But and so the Wizards were three and 22. Miami was coming off a championship, about to win their second, probably. They had just added Ray Allen. And I chose go, to go to D.C. because I would get actual playing time and a chance to actually play and try to carve out, you know, a national league. And uh, Eric Spolstra, I felt like I was in college again. Spo was calling me, trying to recruit me. David Fisdale was calling me, trying to recruit me. Um, but I stayed I stayed with D.C. And the rest is history. Spo to this day still tells me, you bet on yourself, man. And I, and I respect the hell out of that because it's worked out for you. So at that point is when I knew, obviously, that I, I belonged in this league. But it was, Italy was difficult, uh, but it was an experience I'm glad I went through. That's crazy. So – you had a chance to go to the Miami Heat after they d- decided to go with Terrell Harris. You decided to go to the Wizards, who were three and twenty-two at that point in time, because you knew you were going to get more playing time. Talk about fate. You talk about making the right decision, taking a leap of hope. You could have got a ring, but you might not have had the same role that you wanted or needed to kind of establish who you are as an NBA player. So you might not have been able to still carve out a nah, long-term career. Exactly. I mean, Spo told me he said, "Jim, I'm going to tell you straight up." He said. You go to the Wizards, they just cut Sean Livingston. They had just cut Janera Parker before that. He said, it's like a revolving door for guards. And he said, if you come here, you're not going to play unless Mario or Norris get hurt. Because they looked at me as a point. You know, we had a great, a great, me and Spo had a great rapport in training camp. He said, but if we cut you, worst case scenario, if we have a blockbuster deal, then at least you know, people know the the Miami Heat cut him. Like, they, they brought him in, they see something. It's not like the Wizards are cutting you because they keep cutting people. Obviously, we know Sean went on to have a great career and go to state after that. But um, but I, I I listened to him and I just but I still just wanted to bet on myself and actually play. And uh and it worked out. I was there, Randy, I, a lot of credit to Randy Whitman, um, you know, for playing me. Uh I played the one and the two there, and I play, ended up playing staying there for four years, having a great career. And uh you know, getting my agent out of out of that deal too. You know, I got real close with Brad. That was his rookie year. We would we really close to his day. Ended up getting uh, Barlstein as my agent, and, and things have happened since then. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. 
And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Yeah, it's crazy. That's that's really dope. I appreciate you sharing that. And you talked about the conversations you had with your dad. I want to get more into that for a second and, and discuss the best advice you've ever been given on the court and off the court, just a, a little gem, and then a little bit more um, detailed stories just in regards to the current situation being in, in Louisiana with the Pelicans and being from there and then just kind of discuss that. But first, best advice you've been given on and off the court. Ooh, you, start, best- you can start with from your dad too. From my pops. So my pops got a lot of these sayings that he got from my from his dad. One is you can't get a head stand in the bed. So he's really big on making sure you get up, do things, don't be a lazy person, you know, have a work. Did you make ethic. your bed? Were you one of those people who made your bed when you got up? I wasn't, but I wasn't, but my oldest brother was. He he was my oldest brother was like the perfect son. It was so <laughs> crazy, man. It won you know, it was everything. So but one of one other one thing that he my dad says is um you have to work like a slave and think like a master. And um it was, you know, that is very that's something that my brother actually wrote a book about it, you know. And um ba- the basic premise is you have to work, you have to have a work ethic. You have to work harder than anybody, but you have to have a mind, you have to have a mindset about mastering whatever you're doing, you have to have a mindset of an owner operator and, and think about the big picture. Um, and that, that's something that I, that I always live by, uh, in terms of on the court, uh, best advice in general. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've always lived by, uh, you know, you know, CJ knows I'm a very team oriented guy. Uh, you know, it's all about the squad. It's all about the team. You know, it's a we win, we score, we we defend, we win mentality for me. It's always been like that. Um, the communication is key to be able to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, so I think if a team has that type of mentality, the teams that have that type of mentality have a chance to win. If you don't have that type of mentality, you don't have a chance to win at all. And uh, I don't care how talented you are. Now you have to be talented as well to win. But if you don't have that, then you can't win 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 a championship for sure. Um, but those things are things that I that I really live by. 
And, you know, it's crazy. My dad, my dad was never one of those overbearing fathers that berated you after a game if you didn't play well or always nitpicked on what you did or didn't do. He just sat in stands, chill after the game. He'll maybe say a few words to me, but uh, would ask questions. But one time at my senior year in high school, like I said, I was very, you know, uh, passed the ball a lot to a fault sometimes. So like a summer league game in high school, you know, I had maybe like four points and like 14 assists. And he said, we won by like 40. And he said, man, now, gee, I, you know, I don't really say much to you, but you got to start shooting the ball if you want to, you know, show these schools that you can be a D1 player, man. I said, how many, how many assists I had, bro? He's like, I don't know what I said, like 13 or 14. We won about 40. What you, that, that, that's all that matters. He's, and he said, he's told me a few years ago, like, your mindset is what, what, what has kept you, is what has kept you in the league because you're really all about winning. Um, so I think, again, for young guys, if that's your focus, if, if winning is your focus, people, like coaches, people that really know basketball, see that. It seeps through. And those are the type of people that people want on their team. Um, those are the people that are the fifth through 15th guys that stay a long time in the NBA, the ones that are all about winning and do whatever it takes to win. So, CJ, I don't know if you wanted to get into the stuff from him being in New Orleans now. I did have a college basketball question I wanted to ask, but we can go to that after. No, you can go college basketball and then uh, we'll go on to New Orleans. All right, good, because we've got, you know, this, the final four coming up. And so I was just curious, obviously, you had a four-year Five years, I guess, technically, college career, four yeah. year tech, college career. Um, and you've been to the final four. I just want to get your thoughts on just the quality of bas college basketball right now. Like, um, I, I go, it's so much fun just looking at those box scores that you played on because, man, I know all those names. Now, whew, I don't know how many of these guys are going to be pros. You get a guy like Noel from Kansas State just lighting up the, you're like, man, that guy's dope. Oh, he's 5'8. He's probably not going to be, <laughs> be much, but he's fun right now. But it's like, where do you see the, the quality of college basketball at the moment? Oh, uh, I mean, I think the quality is better because people can score more. People are more talented. Uh, you know, you look at the one thing I, I would imagine that jumped out on the box, score, box scores you see are the points, the score. The, we were scoring 50-some points, 60-something points. We were very defensive-minded, which means we really couldn't score. I couldn't shoot. You know, we had one guy on the team that could shoot. But I think, you know, defense was at a premium then. Um, and uh, I think you know, the quality, talent is high, but honestly, quality may not be as high because it's so individual-oriented more times than not. Uh, and, you know, for whatever reason, people are trying, you know, people are trying to get to the, like you said, get to the NBA. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of guys going and thinking they're going to be there for three or four years if they're any good. You know, Glenn Davis stayed three years in school. He came back and played another year. Um you think about Brew and Joe Kim and Al and them. They came back. Yeah. They played three years, uh, and that's not that's not people don't use people aren't doing that anymore. So I, I think the talent level when people come in as freshmen, the talent level is higher, but the quality may not be as high because people don't stay long enough. And the transfer portal, you can't build a cohesive group for a long period of time because of the transfer portal. You can just leave whenever you want. Um, some people, like, we have a teammate, Trey Murphy, 
you know, who left Rice and went to Virginia. Like, that's something that's good for him. Uh, but people that go from, you know, a big school to a, another big school and they were starting and playing 30 minutes a game, those things I really don't understand. Uh, but I, I think the quality may not be as high because of those factors. Um, and I, I, I want to I want to see people play more. I talked to CJ about this. I want to see college men's basketball play more with play with more pace on offense in terms of the sets should be more quick hitting and you know more like NBA style in my opinion like the like the Iowa women you know they just get to it you know mm -hmm. the Louisville women when I was watching that game they just quick hitting plays and they they, they may be shooting with eighteen on the clock nineteen on the clock which uh, is why I think they got a shot against South Carolina because exactly. there's gonna be some scoring in that game it really will be so but I, I think in that regard you know it's twofold the quality is it's good at one point. The talent is better. I don't know if the quality is is uh, is, is as good. Hmm. CJ, you see FAU in the Final Four and think, damn it, uh, I missed my time. Like <laughs> Lehigh could have made it. <laughs> Honestly, if I would have played better against Xavier, we would have we would have went to the um, Sweet Sixteen and probably lost to Baylor. That was when Baylor had Pierre Jackson and and all of those guys. I think they had a uh, uh, guy that dunks everything. I mean, they were they were good enough to beat us. Um, but did they have did they have Tweety Carter there? Tweety Carter might have been there. He might have been there too. But I know they had Pierre. I know they had um Mysterious Dunn. I think uh Isaiah, what is it? Austin was there. Tall, yeah. tall kid with the strap. I think he was there. They were a good team. And I think we were good enough to beat Xavier. We just did. I needed to play better. But I do watch college basketball now and think to myself, like like G said before, players are younger, but then these teams are getting older because of COVID. You got 25 even in football you got 25 26 year olds because they gave them all those extra years because of COVID and that's why these teams are able to compete right against the 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 blue collar you know the top top five teams in the country got a bunch of really good 17 18 19 year olds but they playing against 23 24 25 year olds it's a different game they smarter they understand the offense you talked about they know how to manipulate the game a little bit better and that's why you're seeing some of these small teams in some of these schools take advantage of transfer portals, but also take advantage of the fact that they got a bunch of guys in their, in their mid twenties. Right. <laughs> bunch of Chris Winkies out there. Wait, I'm about to say Chris Winkies. Which is, real. Which is sick. I, I, I know we've talked a lot about LSU. We talked a lot about the influence your, your parents have had on you, your brothers talked about professionalism. You talked about not staying in the bed, doing whatever it takes to win. Now let's talk about you being in New Orleans, being a Louisiana native, what it's like to play in New Orleans and how the team organization and culture has kind of shifted um, from what you used to see when you first got into the league compared to when you first got there to now. Oh, it, first of all, it's been, it's been great. Uh, I almost came here when, after I was playing with DC. Uh, so in like 2016, I almost came to New Orleans. Um, and then Two years ago, Griff reached out, and uh, we've had a relationship. And you know, he wanted me to come and help, you know, be a leader. And obviously, you have that Louisiana, uh, that Louisiana connection would be great as well. So it's been great being here. Uh, I remember being in high school and coming to watch games at you know, two or three games a year, from coming from Baton Rouge to watch the games, and now to be able to play. And be here has been great. Uh, being an hour from home, I actually commute most of the time, hmm. and my I get to see my family. I get to be around my family. It's been amazing. Um, I think New Orleans. 
I can remember, you know, when when, when the Pelicans drafted Zion, it, it's really changed the culture around the organization. Because um, after Chris left, you know, even even though AD was here, uh, when Chris was here, it was, it was it was something special. Chris Tyson, D West, that era was was really special for the city. Um, the AD era for I want to say a year, especially when they played Golden State in the first round. That was that was big, uh, but when 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 we drafted Zion, that that really, you know, put a lot of hope into the city and what the team was able to do last year, bringing in CJ and, and bringing in UC and Larry, um, and then pushing to be able to make it to that eighth seed and do what we did against Phoenix. I think that shows you know what the, the trajectory could be, and then obviously adding Zion and and, and having him for the first you know, 30 games and showing what we're able to do when he's, when the team is fully healthy gives us even more hope. So, um, the, the, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. The, the saints are going to be the saints, but they're, they're not, you know, they're not the saint saints anymore. Uh, so it's, people are going to be really be paying attention to us more than they would have been. Um, and I think we have a, we have a shot to, really do something special here in New Orleans uh, once we get Big Fella back healthy, especially the way B.I. has been playing as of late and as close as this Western Conference is. So we need to just go ahead, win the next six seed, and then, you know, get to like the fifth or sixth seed and not even worry about it playing, and then we just do what we do. But, nah, it's, it's been great. It's been amazing. Obviously, it's something special. It's, there's a little more to it when it's your home state. And uh, I've seen I've seen this whole, you know, I, I was alive and, well before the organization was even here so it's great to see it uh thrive and get to this point don't sleep on Derek Carr man I don't know the Saints could do something <laughs> I hope so I would love I would love I would love for that to happen I would love for that to happen there's obviously been a lot of things happening across the league lately with off-court activities for players and there's been discussions and conversations around the importance of veterans, um, the importance of having veterans in your roster, kind of lead young guys to teach them um, the do's and don'ts, the ins and outs of the league and how to be successful while still remaining true to who you are. just want you to briefly discuss the importance of having veterans, what that's kind of done for our team in New Orleans, and then talk about some of the younger teams across the league and how um, impactful veterans can be, especially um, off the court, taking them out to dinner, being able to talk to them, the accountability aspect, all those things. Nah, it's it's very important, you know. You know, see when we first got in the league, we had legit veterans, um, vets right. of teams. Um, and obviously the the league was older when we got into the league. Um, but it's just it's so necessary. You I, I tell everybody this. I've been on a bunch of different teams. I want to say eleven. Uh so I, I've I've been able to see how a good organization works, how a good team works, and what the what what you need for each. Um, having good veterans on your team is a is a necessary is ne so necessary for having a good organization um, and a good team both on and off the court. I think um, you know having guys that teach people how to be professionals in all aspects on and off the court that's something that's so needed and you don't know unless somebody teaches you. There's no way for you to know. I don't care how talented you are or what. There's no way for you to know unless somebody teaches you. Um, so having the right veterans on your team to be able to, as C said, bring you out to dinner, 
um, explain to you how to get a routine. You know, CJ and I talk talk to our rookies and the young guys right now about having a routine, you know, especially at the beginning of the season. Establishing a routine because it's so much easier when you have that structure in place. You can your body becomes on autopilot and you just get used to how what things you need to do to get ready for a game. Um, you know, if you don't have a veteran that that has been through it, you wouldn't know. If you don't if you don't have a veteran that's played in the playoff playoffs, you wouldn't you don't know, you know, what the feelings will be or or how to, you know, um how to you know take those emotions and those feelings and try to, you know, funnel them in, into a way that, that that can be positive for your game. So, you know, not to mention, obviously, understanding what, how to do things off the court, how to go out, um, how to go to the club, you know, ways to move in a way that is not damaging to your reputation, but also allows you to just do what you want to do at the same time. You know, you don't have to be, you know, a person in a in a fishbowl. You can do things. You can do what you want to do, but there are ways to do it and uh, and not damage your reputation. So, the teams that don't have them, I mean, you know, CJ and I are in the midst of doing some things to try to make sure we can create incentives to have teams uh, have veterans on their squad. Um, the teams that don't have them, it shows both on and off the court, and I think it really it really will show. In the future, when the, these stars, uh, you know, are in their fourth, fifth, sixth year, and they may be all stars, but they may not really know how to win. Uh, you know, one one guy I talk about all the time. One of my teammates is Cuz Demarcus Cousins, one of my one of my guys. Uh, we had a great relationship when we were together. I was only there for half a year. They traded him halfway through the year, but you know, you talk about a guy that came in and was at Kentucky one year, you know, went to multiple different high schools and had, I want to say, uh, six different head coaches, three different GMs, two different owners in his first six years, seven years in the league. Was a five-time All-Star, I want to say, three-time, four-time All-NBA. So once you get to him in year six or seven, it's kind of too late. He's always, he's already going to think to himself, what, what else do you want me to do? I'm all NBA. I'm the best center in the league. There's nothing else I need to do. We need to just get players to help me. And he may not know – he didn't know how to win or how to be a leader. And, uh, you know, me, myself, Matt Barnes, you know, we had conversations with him, with him about this. Um, but, you know, especially nowadays, veterans are very important now, especially because coaches have less power head coaches have less power because the players have more power. You know, nowadays, if a coach wants to coach too hard and a player doesn't like it, he's the star, he may get that coach out of there. That's just the reality of the league. So coaches are in a tougher spot now, so they may not be able to hold, you know, stars, the young, you know, 21-year-old that's about to sign a max deal accountable because he may not like that. And I'm and I don't want to play for you no more. So mm – -hmm. Having a vet that can step in and be that bad guy is very, very important in this league, especially now, in my opinion. Udonis Haslam. It's the first name I think of. Udonis Haslam. By the way, only 10 teams. 10 teams. You played for sack twice. Okay. 10 teams. Cool. Appreciate that. Um, and real quick, do you just a random quiz because I asked CJ this last time. Do you know how old Steven Adams is? It's crazy. I looked it up the <laughs> other day because somebody was like, 
he's he's so young. I was like, really? I think he's thir- 29 or 30, right? He's 29. 29. Crazy. Steven, <laughs> the fact that Steven is not 30 years old is insane. He looks like he was born 30. You're right. Allegedly. Right. Allegedly 29. <laughs> Look at him. Allegedly. Yeah. Just kidding. All right, so what happened last night? What was that? And everything from the, I mean, you guys are feeling good. It seemed like the uh, the team meeting had done its job and won some games. And then just the, the I guess, I don't want to say collapse, but the comeback by by Golden State. And then Draymond seems to be kind of running his mouth a little bit. But, you know, what's new? What happened? <laughs> right. Draymond was Draymond. Uh, I mean, I'll talk I'll talk to you from my, my point of view, my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, this was the first time that our young, most of our young guys had played against Steph. Um, and, you know, uh, Steph would, Steph became, Steph did Steph things in the second half. I think the third quarter, um, Dante DiVincenzo had some, some big plays that impacted the game uh, that gave them momentum, uh, you know, tip back dunk. Another offensive rebound, um, and then uh, Looney has some big offensive rebounds. Again, that those are the type of things when you're in Golden State, especially Oracle, but now in Chase Center, when they get offensive rebounds and kick out to threes, and when it's Steph, when Steph is the recipient of the kickouts and he's wide open, it just does something to to that arena and to their team, and it does something of the negative effect to your team. Uh, um, you know, everybody talks about m- momentum shots, but when he's the one shooting it and Golden State's momentum threes are a little different than anybody else's, especially when they're at home. And I think that's how honestly what happened personally. Not to mention our, our turnovers in the third quarter, fourth yeah. quarter. So I'll let C say what he saw being on the court. I think they just show championship pedigree. They're historically a great third quarter team. They got off to a great start in the third quarter. I think they went on a 7-0 run. We had two turnovers. We gave up offensive rebound. Um, talked about a tip dunk. Um, the little plays, I think, shifted the momentum of the game. And then it just came down to us missing shots and then making shots. And obviously, they're very good at home, first of all. Um, they play really well at home. They're a different team on the road. And when you allow – a team that's that good offensively to have multiple chances to score. It's hard enough to stop them once. It's not only demoralizing to your team, but it's, it's exhausting when you're on a back to back and you got a guard for two possessions, three possessions. And I think it just took its toll. We didn't execute as well as we should have offensively. I missed some open shots. We had some turnovers. Um, But I think all in all, we competed. We gave ourselves a chance. We just allowed a couple of runs to, to spiral and really impacted us on the other end. And when you don't get stops against the Warriors and you got to take the ball out of half court, they're a really good defensive team in half court. You got to be able to get stops, generate transition to generate baskets when their defense is not set because they're very good um, in the half court. And I think that was the difference in the first half we got on a ran, we got stops. It was easier to score. In the second half, we got bogged down a um, couple turnovers, couple plays where the pace you talked about the pace in college basketball our pace wasn't the same because we walk it up trying to get the play call trying to make sure everybody hears the play call next thing you know it's 15 on the clock um you're down to a late clock and having to play in um iso situations and you want to do that sometimes but you don't want to have to lead on that too heavily and i think we had to do a lot of things that um weren't a part of our game plan originally because we didn't get stops because we gave up second chance opportunities and i think that that changed the game a lot you um, 
well, Bomani's been on the podcast. Bomani calls DiVincenzo white Dante. Um, <laughs> you and him got into it a little bit, I think. What was uh? Was there anything interesting there? Uh, just just normal basketball. Normal, man. okay. I, think, I I didn't really see that part. I think, I, all I know is like uh, Draymond said some stuff, and man, I wasn't a big fan of it. I just want to go on the record saying Draymond was talking trash first. I I love how he tried to flip it on me and say that like I got them going. Like no, I didn't. You was talking crazy. You was talking crazy. 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 And I was just not going to allow that to go mode. down. It's just like I can't let that go down, man. So that no, I'm not having that. And uh, I mean, you credit them; they responded well. But for the Divincenzo play, you know, I, I mean, he plays really hard. He's a great fit for them, and that was just one of those plays where Clay was about to get open three. So like, you can't. <laughs> it's momentum. It's momentum in the in the Chase Center, and Clay had been, you know, missing some looks. Right, like he was, he didn't shoot particularly well, and I didn't want him to get that a corner three coming off a of screen. So I had two choices: I could run around the screen, let him shoot, or run through the screen. And the way they was playing, you know, as we get closer to the playoffs, it's a physical game. So there's going to be hard fouls. There's going to be those types of plays. And um, I ran through the screen instead of running around it. And that's Which is happened. hilarious because if Draymond does that exact same thing, they're like, wow, Dre really, you know, led us to a victory by doing whatever it took. To, you know, because he does that stuff all the time. He blows up plays with his body, gets a foul call, whatever. And they look at it as, hey, he's helping us. And you, it's just like, oh, he just he, he sees that and, and you do that. And he, he thinks the exact opposite. Well, they got mad. And I think it's just response. It's just the response. And I'm just like, look, man, I'm just out here trying to win, man. I'm, none of this stuff really like y'all can talk all y'all want we just trying to get a win and get up get up out of here this is a back-to-back for us like i know y'all was resting last night we was playing last night and we're trying to get this win to get out of here so please stop reviewing all these plays because it's just making a day this is drawing out drawing a day on longer and i mean people that know me know me like i compete i play hard and um that's just the way i am so i don't i don't really have like the talk is whatever i'm 31 years old man i got a kid at home like <laughs> I don't have like, you talking, you talking like we all got, you know, our own private lives and what's what's on the court is on the court. And then you go home and, and you live your normal life. But I, I would expect them to do the same thing to me. And I'm sure they would have if they'd had a chance. And then you got Clay just coming in every single time, <laughs> just kind of lurking, like you said, CJ always trying to instigate. Uh, Garrett, does it feel different then because um playing for this team? Because like not every like, you know. LeBron has Cleveland, right? He has the Cavaliers, but not everybody has a hometown team that they feel this sort of depth of, you know, emotion for. Is that, uh, are the Pelicans too young of a team for you to feel that? Or are you like, is it a different feeling there playing for this organization? It's a different feeling. It's a different feeling, but I, I don't think it's the feeling that I would have had if they were the team when I, when I was born, that like we had an NBA team there. You know, like I said, I remember when the, team came and then went to OKC because of Katrina and things of that nature. Um, I, I didn't grow up a Pelicans, Pelicans fan. You know what I'm saying? I was a Lakers fan okay. uh, because of Shaquille. I was, I really was a fan of whoever Shaquille mm. was on because of, I had a relationship with him when he was at LSU. When I was growing up, I was four or five, six. I saw Shaq come to the house and stuff. So, um, but it definitely is very different than just being on a, a normal team uh, for sure because of the people. You know, I, I know the people, and I know, I know the language, I know the culture, it's my culture. Um, and so it's just great to see us and my my people, our culture, um, you know, having a chance to to make some things happen. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Perfecto. Well, G, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man, sharing some gems um, with not only myself, but Izzy and the rest of our, our listeners. I think it's 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 fascinating to learn a little bit about the temple history in terms of what your grandfather went through 
um, being encouraged to go to Michigan State and then them actually coming back, the governor actually coming back to request that your father go and play at LSU. So I appreciate you saying some of those gems, obviously. Um, appreciate being your teammate, the professionalism that you show. Um, is greatly appreciated for our locker room and it helps a lot of younger guys and talk about accountability and all those things and uh, being able to say the stuff that everybody may not necessarily always want to say, but also more importantly, being another voice besides mine, because I don't want to be the old father in the locker room that's always speaking because that yeah. gets kind of drowned <laughs> out. But when you tell those stories, Garrett, make sure to mention the years because people think that was so long ago. And it's not like, nah, like I lived through those years that your dad's talking about. You know what I mean? It's it's insane to think about. Facts, facts, for sure. Now, I appreciate y'all having me, man. Um, and also, uh, Izzy, great to officially meet you and, and be on the pod. And um, CJ, obviously, it's always a pleasure, brother. We had a relationship before this, and we'll have one after this. But nah, being a 36-year-old, soon to be 37, I, I, I'll, I'll gladly be that old father in the locker room, bro. <laughs> Perfect, man. You get you some rest, man. I'm going to head to the spa. It's time for the steam room to sign before, before, before dinner. See you guys. All right, see you, see you Izzy.